In this edition of Emergence, we'll be talking about the Rabies in the Americas Conference and African Swine Fever. Welcome to the first edition of the Emergence Podcast, brought to you by MSD Animal Health and hosted by me, Alistair King, Director of International Veterinary Health. You may already know the Emergence website and be a subscriber, in which case you'll have some idea of what to expect from us. Earlier this year, we surveyed our readers, and you said you wanted more. This is why we're introducing the podcast, in order to bring you news and events from the world of transboundary and emerging diseases. In future episodes, you will hear interviews with key opinion leaders, reports from the ground at conferences and shows, we'll give you insights into new publications, and let you know of important disease outbreaks. So thank you for joining us. In this episode, I wanted to give you some feedback from the recent Rabies in the Americas conference. Rita has been at the forefront of rabies control for a number of years. There's a lot of really good information, very scientific, and it brings together a lot of different people. Unfortunately, this year I wasn't able to go, but luckily I have been able to catch up with two people who were there. John Atkinson, one of my colleagues who some of you will already know, and Leah Knopf from the WHO. They've both been willing to give me their views and opinions. We'll start by hearing from John. John, it's it's great that you've been able to join me. really appreciate your time. I know you're back in the UK now. You weren't able to stay in the States for longer. This was your first time at RITA, I think. So can you paint us a picture of your first thoughts and impressions? RITA this year, um, it was the 30th um, annual meeting of RITA, so it's been since uh, 1990, and uh, it's an international scientific meeting uh, to discuss rabies across the Americas. And I have to say that my impressions all the way through were very good indeed. I thought it was really well organised, and actually right from the point of registration, the event website, uh, the updates that we received um, after registration, the whole experience was was really professional but also really friendly. I've been to Rita a couple of times now. Uh, there's there's a lot of science that comes out. I've always been really impressed by by that kind of level that's there. A lot of new ideas, new things that, that we can learn. Was there a particular presentation, paper or poster that stood out for you? Oh, that's a hard question. Now you're asking. Um, I think rather than one specific presentation, what really stood out to me was the the actual breadth of the event, because a lot of the events we uh, attend or I attend uh, have a very specific focus on aspects of of a disease uh, focused on the animals. And with rabies being notic disease, it was really great to be involved in an event where you had a really great balance between the animal aspects and the human aspects of rabies and then within the animal aspects there was a clear focus on both the dog mediated rabies and wildlife mediated rabies and actually further uh, there was a really good geographical uh, spread of presentations right the way across the americas but actually also and importantly from uh, the rabies uh, elimination aspects it actually focused on not just the americas 
but also drew in presentations from uh, the likes of East Africa and Sri Lanka as well. So I think what really stood out to me was that the overall balance that there was at the the event and also the way the content was presented um, involving oral presentations, poster presentations, uh, round table event um, and also a webinar as well. That, that, that's quite interesting. When I've been in previous years, I've always felt it was very focused on America. Not surprising. After all, it's rabies in the Americas. But it sounds as though they're taking a more global view now. Is, is that right? I think from my perspective, having only been to one, um, certainly comparing our experiences and in, in the discussions that we've had um, since the event, it, it certainly appears to be that way. And, and certainly talking to the organisers of uh, RITA 2020, uh, there does seem to be a desire to, to keep that broader appeal, which for me actually can only be a good thing because when we think of the overall world uh, objective of trying to eliminate a human death from dog-mediated rabies by 2030, then it really is important that there is this collaborative global effort to raise awareness um, and to really um, stand the best chances of getting to that 2030 target of zero human deaths. So, John, what do you feel you learnt about new advances in controlling rabies from being at RITA this year? What was really good for me was to hear some of the insights, uh, certainly from South America in particular, about uh, the role of the likes of vampire bats and the problems uh, posed by those in, in that region. So that was a, a real, really great learning experience for me, and I look forward to learning even more about that. I also think that whilst it's not a new thing, because uh, dedicated sessions at the event on the zero by 30 campaign about trying to get those zero human deaths from dog media rabies by 2030. And whilst that's not a, a new idea, it's an important one to keep reiterating everywhere. That's definitely a big challenge. 10 years time, our target is to eliminate dog mediated rabies. So we've still got a lot to do. Although the news of Mexico being declared free this week was fantastic. Things like RITA really help us bring it all together. You were in the US for, for RITA, there for a whole week. I'm sure it wasn't all work and science. Did you manage to see anything of Cam Kansas City itself? Yeah, it's a very friendly place. And I learned that it's the, the, the home of barbecue in the States. So it was really great to be able to taste some of those uh, culinary delights. And uh, they, they certainly do do great barbecue in Kansas City. Yeah, that, that's good. It's a while since I've been down there, but I remember the barbecues well. I'm glad you've got a chance to experience it. I really appreciate you giving us some insights into Rita. Before you go, what was the one key takeaway message you have from this conference? I think the one key takeaway, really, um, I think Dr. Rodney Woodby said it best when he concluded his presentation and he basically called on everyone at the conference to continue the fight against rabies. And, and I think that really does sum it up. Thanks a lot, John. Really appreciate all of that, your time. And next year, Rita, you're going to be where? Yep. Next year, Rita is going to be in Colombia. So I'm already looking forward to it and getting my bags ready. <laughs> Brilliant. It's really nice to know you're so keen to go again next year. Thanks for your time now and goodbye. After that chat with John, I was able to catch up with Leah Knopf from the WHO. It was a fantastic discussion with Leah. 
to be honest, it could take up the whole of this episode. So I've edited it down quite heavily. I think what I'll do in a later date is play the whole interview for you during a podcast. For now, we'll just hear some of her thoughts on the Rabies in the Americas conference. Leah, thank you for joining me. I think first, could you just let our listeners know a bit about who you are and what your role is with the WHO? So good afternoon, Alistair. I'm very thankful to join this conversation. I am in the Department of Neglected Tropical Diseases. Um, rabies is one of these 20 neglected tropical diseases. And I have been working over the last roughly four years with um, the lead of this group together to move things forward on rabies and the other zoonotic neglected diseases. Thanks for giving us that background. I've always found Rita really interesting when I've been, but I was just wondering why the WHO think it's important to go to the, go along to, to the conference. From a WHO perspective, it is a very important component that it is complementary to the policy-oriented meeting of the directors of rabies programs in the Americas. So the RITA, uh, from a WHO perspective, offers a lot of research and updates, or also innovations for uh, better delivery of rabies programs. So this is a great inspiration and, as I said, it's very complementary to the more policy-oriented and steering of rabies programs at the political level in the RADIPA setting. For those people attending, what do you think was the real value of being at RITA? I think the RITA really showed a really broad range of aspects that are innovative and that were kind of proof of concepts through research first or pilots that are a true inspiration for uh, many countries to step up in their efforts to reach the 2030 goal. The Global Vaccine Alliance, Gavi, have just announced that they're going to introduce support for rabies vaccination and that this should be a priority for them. I think that's really exciting. Was that talked about at RITA and what were the thoughts? So we briefly talked at it during the RITA meeting as well. We made that announcement. And although I have to say for the Latin America setting, this new announcement of Gavi to invest in rabies, human rabies vaccines is not as pertinent as for countries in Asia and Africa where more countries are eligible to get support from Gavi to help them uh, to invest in human rabies vaccine and post-exposure prophylaxis. So what does it trigger? It is certainly uh, increasing the political uh, attention to it. It will certainly improve also the delivery of post-exposure prophylaxis in countries and particularly also the access. Currently, there are still a lot of countries where there are only a few places where people can access post-exposure prophylaxis. And most people dying from rabies in the world are unfortunately still those who cannot access uh, post-exposure prophylaxis and where there is no dog vaccination programs in place that would tackle the disease at the source. 
So it's a really an unfortunate situation, and I am sure that the investment of Gavi and countries taking up the Gavi investment will trigger a lot of political attention and traction for the rabies control programs as a whole. So that will mean also that the animal health side will probably become more involved and get a boost to step up with their dog vaccination programs. That's what we what we hope. And then of course that then that less people will suffer from this horrible, terrible disease. <laughs> it, it seems my dog agrees with you there. I apologize for the interruption there, Leah. Your first time at Rita, so what what struck you about that as a conference different to other places? What marked me most was really this boot on the ground presentations where you see how the these are not the usual conference participants, but I think it gave it a special flavor to have a different view, the the bottom up view of the issues they have to deal with. And it was somehow also a bit a call to the um, researchers and the international organizations and eventually even the central ministry people to rethink about their way how they emit recommendations and how they change regulations. Thank you very much, Leah. That's been really great insight. I appreciate your time. Maybe can I add just one small last remark? I think what I noticed is, of course, the Americas has a different focus. And that so, nevertheless, I was very happy and there is a need to uh, have people who are still struggling with dog-mediated rabies in their countries participating in this conference. And that's what we tried with our roundtable 0 by 30, to remind the people who are more advanced in many Latin American countries, eventually already eliminated dog-mediated rabies, that dog-mediated rabies in other parts of the world is still a huge problem and that we should try to spread the message and learn from each other to help these countries forward. So with that, I would like to thank you as well for your time and uh, for this opportunity to share my thoughts uh, as Lea Knopf and WHO regarding this conference, Dorita. Thank you again, Lea, and hopefully I'll see you soon at a rabies meeting somewhere else. providing you with reports from conferences, either when we're there or from others who have attended, an objective of this podcast is to give you updates on disease situations. With a suspected case of African swine fever announced in Indonesia at the beginning of November, it is worth spending some time this episode to consider the global implications of ASF. The news from Indonesia is in itself disturbing for those in the emerging disease community. We've already heard of smallholders elsewhere refusing to cull their pigs, But in North Sumatra, more than 4,500 pigs have apparently died. And the major concern is that many of the pig carcasses are being dumped in rivers and on streets, possibly because the owners are afraid about personal risk. Of course, we know that the disease is not contagious to humans, but that doesn't stop people worrying when they don't understand the disease. It still isn't entirely clear if this was African swine fever or classical swine fever. But there is no doubt that ASF has hit Asia hard. Vietnam has reported 
2.8 million pigs culled this year, while South Korea is deploying snipers and thermal imaging drones to detect wild boar crossing the border from North Korea after they had their first outbreak in, in October. In only a couple of weeks, South Korea has now reported 14 outbreaks in domestic pigs and 15 outbreaks in wild boar. Europe has not escaped either. And since the beginning of November, we've heard reports of cases in Romania, Bulgaria, Latvia, Ukraine, Moldova, and others. While most of these are in wild boar, it does highlight the ever-present threat of further spread. It's now thought that one quarter of the world's domestic pig herd has died as a result of ASF, either directly from the disease itself or through culling. The real impact of all of this is a major reshaping of the global protein market. Not only have pork prices risen in response to the shortage, but also beef, poultry and aqua have all faced increased demand. There is no way that pork production can be ramped up quickly enough to make up for the massive losses, especially when you consider China has lost around 50% of their hog herd. So beef and poultry are filling some of the gap with significant imports from Europe, Argentina and Brazil. But with the shortage of pork products, there's also an increase in illegal transport of both live animals and meat products. In March, the federal officials at Newark Port of Entry in New Jersey seized one million pound weight of smuggled pork coming from China, while the Australian border security have had to step up their biosecurity levels as they found virus in pork products brought in by international travelers. It's this change in both legal and illegal trade that may have unintended and unexpected consequences, and which means we all need to heighten our vigilance, not only for African swine fever, but also for foot and mouth disease and other transboundary diseases. Studies of socio-economic influences on foot and mouth disease have previously shown how the disease spread can be tracked along trade routes and how when those routes change because of price fluctuations or festivals, then the disease spread alters as well. We need to be aware of these risks and recognize them. The World Animal Health Information System, WAHIS, from the World Organization for Animal Health, the OIE, will help us spot any changing trends, and I recommend that you sign up for alerts. Although, don't forget, we do publish quarterly updates from WAHIS on our Emergence website. So far, this epidemic of African swine fever has tended to defy expectations, so it's impossible to say what the long-term effects will be. But we can be sure that there will be long-term effects. We still need to understand the role of wild boar outside of Africa in order to develop er eradication plans. And the change in protein consumption is likely to play a role in food security, as well as altering social behaviours. For now, biosecurity, surveillance and early reporting are our strongest weapons until a vaccine becomes available. With ASF, it's very much a case of don't make assumptions and watch this space. In the meantime, we will try to keep you abreast of further developments. And that's it for this edition. I've certainly enjoyed hearing about Rita, and I hope you've found it useful to learn about the activities there. Once again, I extend my thanks to our guests for giving us such a great insight into all that they saw and heard. If you have any comments or suggestions for future episodes, then you can contact me through our team email address, ivh at merck.com. That's ivh at m-e-r-c-k dot com. And you can visit the Emergence website for details of disease outbreaks and new scientific publications, plus articles from key opinion leaders at emergence-msd-animal-health.com. Thank you for listening.
and I look forward to speaking to you again next time. Mm-hmm.